On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Elon Musk talks about autonomous driving in a new podcast interview. Model 3 approaches a production milestone. Party mode and camper mode are the next two modes set to come to your Tesla soon and more. What's happening, friends? Alongside a still very much rambunctious Daisy the Boxer Puppy, I am a very much not rambunctious Ryan McCaffrey, host of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast. This is episode 186 for February 24th, 2019. And as you can probably already tell, I have been under the weather this week. I'm still trying to battle through it. Uh, I'm all congested. My voice is, is not in good shape as you can hear, but I will do my best. I've got some water with me, uh, and I'm just going to try and power through this podcast, because you know what? The podcast must go on. The show must go on, and I've got uh, what I what I think is a pretty good show prepared for you as far as the content uh, coming up this week. I will tell you, uh, we finally had a break in the rain here in the Bay Area, so I, I finally got a chance to wash my car last weekend. My goodness, does it feel good to, to have a nice, clean car again. So uh, so that's been nice. Also, also nice, Model 3 deliveries are uh, really starting to happen across Europe now, and the first deliveries are happening in China as well. So I'd like to send a very heartfelt congratulations to all of you new owners in Europe and China as well. I'd, I'd certainly love to hear your impressions if you feel like sending in a recording there, I give you the, the Ride the Lightning hotline info on how to call in later on in the show. Although if you're a regular listener, you probably already have it memorized, I would imagine. Well, let me get started uh, right away. I'm not going to waste your time uh, at all. I try never to waste your time, but especially when I sound like this. Because the you probably want to hear as little of me right now <laughs> as possible. But plenty of fun Tesla stuff to get to. Thankfully, I've got some Elon Musk clips for you, so uh, you have to you can listen to him, a little more of him and a little less of me. Well, Elon did a uh, podcast interview this past week with the ARK Invest podcast, which was largely, largely centered on autonomous driving. The hosts, Tasha Keeney, an analyst at ARK Invest, and Kathy Wood, the founder, CEO, and CIO at ARK Invest. Uh, kudos to them for getting the interview with Elon. They went over to the Tesla factory here in the Bay Area over in, in Fremont. So uh, I encourage you to go check out the entire interview, but I've got a few highlights for you just about the most sort of Tesla-specific relevant things. Uh, again, the interview isn't like completely... It, I mean, it's Tesla-focused in that it's about autonomous driving, but that is that is its laser focus. So... Uh, here's a, this first clip is Elon talking about, about the nature of exponential curves and specifically about, uh, commenting on how Tesla missed their production goals in 2017 and sort of how that really matters in the grand scheme of things. Elon. Yeah. I want to emphasize that if I give estimates, these are really, there's a lot of guesswork here oh. and especially on an exponential curve, a year or two difference makes is, is enormous. Obviously, it says we've got a lot of criticism for the number of cars we delivered in 2017. Because if you say like the area under the curve of production in 2017 was 
quite small because it was the beginning of an exponential ramp. But then once that got going, the area under the curve was enormous. And that's why people were so shocked. I, I kept trying to say this, but they, people don't understand, I guess, what an exponential means. Or, or They don't. They're yeah. all linear thinkers. Yes. Yes, yes, exactly. So like last year, we basically doubled our global fleet. Because we, cumulatively, we made and delivered more, as, about, about as many cars as we had made in our entire history. I know. Right, it's exactly. Crazy. I was, I was, I, you crazy. guys know, but I'm just sort of, crazy. for the audience out there. Most people thought it was impossible. Yes. And if you do a linear extrapolation, it certainly would be. But when making estimates against an exponential, small changes in the the calendar breakpoint um, have enormous percentage differences. The time difference is small, but the percentage difference is enormous. Now, I'm just I'm saying things that you guys know, but it's this is for the broader audience yes, out there. Yes. No. We want this. Yes. We want people to understand this. Right. Like getting to five thousand cars peak production per week was offset by approximately six months from my initial estimate last year. So I thought we'd be there end of 2017. It took us six months longer. In the grand scheme of things, six months late uh, for a massive new program is not much. But this was characterized in the press in terms of the percentage of units instead of a calendar shift. And so it was perceived as a massive shortfall when in fact it was merely a six-month delay. And when I give these, say, my guesses for the future, if you move six months or 12 months, these numbers are, it can be 50 to 100% different. So, but if you say like, what's my guess for 2021 is one and a half million cars for Tesla. Well, I both agree and disagree with Elon on this. I mean, he's right in that in the grand scheme of things, six months isn't a big deal. But where I disagree is that within the context of Tesla as a growing and viable business, that six months was a very, very big deal. You know, there was, there was a lot riding on that, and it was a very delicate time for the company, both in terms of its short-term and its long-term success. So I half agree with Elon on that one. Uh, in this second clip, this is a short clip, but a really interesting uh, comment from Elon on on how he views Teslas in the context of autonomous driving. Absolutely. We can sort of think of uh, our cars, maybe long-term, as being effectively carriers for the autonomy, that's autonomy software. So it's like they're a vehicle, literally and figuratively, for autonomy, uh, the the software that rides on them. Well, that's really interesting, but I, I think it's important to remember the context of this conversation specifically, which is entirely about autonomous driving. So to that end, yes, Elon's right about Tesla's being Trojan horses for autonomous software. But do remember, uh, which he says later in the interview, by the way, that of course the overall purpose of Tesla is, as you know it by heart now, to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Clip number three here, uh, Elon talking about how confident he is in the progress of full self-driving and how that's going. Take a listen to this. No, I still think the last 10% is, of autonomy is extremely difficult, or, or even the last 1% of autonomy is really difficult. I think there's like a couple of things that would be helpful to calibrate uh, with, with the audience. And if I may go back to, to one thing, like generally, like for example, if I say we will reach 5,000 cars a week, what, what I mean is that's the, that's the peak production. 
but then just just for reference when if you have peak production of x then you're going to be like somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of, of that for average production through the quarter uh, when taking public holidays um, and equipment maintenance into account then also for in de- defining autonomy or full self-driving I, I think we will be feature complete full self-driving this year meaning the car will be able to find you in a parking lot pick you up take you all the way to your destination without an intervention this year. I would say that I'm certain of that. That is not a question mark. However, people sometimes will extrapolate that to mean now it works with 100% certainty, requiring no observation perfectly. This is not the case. Once it is future complete, then you're sort of kind of the march of nines. Like how many nines of reliability do you, do you want it to be? And then when do regulators agree that it is that that is that reliable. So there's feature complete for full self-driving this year with certainty. This is something that we control and I manage autopilot engineering directly every week in detail. So I'm I'm certain of this. Then when will regulators allow us even to have these features turned on with uh, human oversight? That that's a variable which we we have limited control over. Then it's when will regulators agree that that these things can be done without human oversight? That is an, an, another level beyond that. So these are externalities we don't quite control. And the conservatism of regulators varies a lot from one jurisdiction to another. My guess as to when we would think it's safe for somebody to essentially fall asleep and wake up the destination, probably towards the end of next year. That's that's when I, when... I would think it's most likely it will be safe enough for that. I don't know when regulators will agree. I suppose we may never know how accurate his highly confident statement there is, because if the public can't see the features because regulators are slow to approve them, we might not publicly know a status update on it. But then again, it could also just be something that Elon just openly talks about on an earnings call sometime, perhaps even intentionally. Uh, if it comes to it as a tactic to try and put pressure on federal regulators to try and get it approved. So time will tell on that one, I suppose. But uh, that's that's quite the confidence in the development of full self-driving. That's pretty cool to hear. Uh, Next up, speaking of confidence, here's Elon just kind of reminding everybody what his strengths are and who he sort of really is as a as a person in the uh in the professional world well i first of all i think it's helpful to clarify with people people think sometimes that i'm like a business person or finance person or something like that i i'm an engineer i do engineering always have so i mean i wrote software for like 15 years 20 years and i understand technology and software at quite a fundamental level i know what we need to solve to make full self-driving feature complete i think we've got an extremely good technical team I, I think we really have the, the, the best people. It's an honor to work with them. I'm certain that we will get this done this year. I love his confidence in the team. And, and if it's fair for me to say so here, the confidence in himself as well. He says, basically, hey, I'm an engineer. I know what this is going to take. And I have the best team with me. That fires me up hearing that. I like hearing that. I can't wait to see uh, what 2019 produces in the way of... Uh, of autopilot advancements. Speaking of autopilot, it is very much a competitive advantage for Tesla. And this next clip 
talks about that and how uh, we, the Tesla owners, can help or and are helping to make it better. The advantage that we have that I think is very difficult to overcome is that we have just a vast amount of data on interventions. So effectively, the customers are training the system on how to drive. And there are millions of corner cases. They're so obscure and weird, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, there's, there's different road markings, different rules in different countries, different expectations. You've got rain, snow, sleet, hail, you know, hurricanes, floods, fires, smoke, dust. <laughs> it's insane. I know. But we've got cars in almost all, really in all those environments. And so we, every time somebody intervenes, takes over from autopilot, it saves that information on and uploads it to our system. We, we don't know which car it was or how, what happened. You know, there's no individual attribution for the car. We just know that that intervention took place. And then we see what is required to fix that intervention. And we're really starting to get quite good at not even requiring human labeling. Basically, the, the person, say, drives the intersection, we know then and is thereby training autopilot what to do. Well, I'll tell you, my neighborhood is full of edge cases. I think my neighborhood is one giant edge case. But, of course, I can't use autopilot in my neighborhood, certainly not yet. So I wish I could be helping it more, but it is cool that it uploads data back to the mothership every time you intervene. Uh, a lot, I mean, I will say, thinking about that, a lot of that's got to be garbage data, which I suppose they've probably got a smart enough system to filter out the garbage data. Because, like, sometimes I just intervene with autopilot just because I either want to drive a little bit more aggressively than autopilot does, or I just need to perform a maneuver like a pass. Uh, more quickly than the system uh, is capable of relative to the, the traffic situation or what have you. But uh, next up, we got I got two more clips here. And again, I'll, I'll encourage you to go listen to the full interview. I'll give you the URL for it in just a couple of minutes. But uh, this one is for all of the uh, real, real engineer types out there that want to hear some more kind of concrete numbers uh, about autopilot three and the new processor that tesla is developing well, i think it's just really the, the the long tail of weird events the million weird situations you know all sorts of weather conditions all kinds of road conditions situations where the road rules aren't even followed like they're not they're not always followed like you know say somebody working on the road might make a mistake and then suddenly you've, you've got a situation where there are no, no road cones uh, or there's a big hole in the road or something really nutty or completely strange object that's on the road that's not recognized so it's really the 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 reason tesla i think is making rapid progress is because we have vastly more data and this is increasing exponentially with as our fleet is increasing exponentially our data is increasing exponentially then i think we've got like said the best technical team and although i've brought it up before people don't seem to really be uh, taking note of the fact that the tesla autopilot ai computer is about to roll into production you know, anyone who's ordered full self-driving will will get that replay. Will get that for free. It's really, you know, I've said it has like maybe it's like a order of magnitude improvement over the Nvidia system that we have, but it's really more like over two thousand percent. Yeah, our analyst on AI deep learning spent nine years at Nvidia and concluded that you were at least three years. Just looking initially at the specs, at least three years ahead of anybody else out there. Any other auto manufacturer? Yeah, and we, we started the chip program about three years ago because it, it just seems as though we, 
we would want to advance making things. If you want to have a complex neural network, you need a combination of software and hardware. Um, and your software needs to be that much better in order to compensate for hardware if the hardware is weaker. You know, if you look sort of like, say, have video games and how they progress, it's a combination of software and, and hardware. No amount of clever software could produce a video game on old hardware that you have today. It just doesn't matter, you know. So the same thing with neural nets. So right now we can process on the order of, you know, 100 frames a second. And we really need to do a lot of work in terms of cropping the frames and sort of bending the pixels and uh, not going to full resolution on all cameras and that kind of thing with the current hardware. We're at full frames, full resolution with with the Tesla hardware. All cameras at full resolution, full frames. Wow, that's and crazy. It still hasn't tapped out. Yeah. So, like I said, there, I, I really just wanted to include that clip for those of you who are interested in a more technical explanation of what Autopilot 3.0 can do. Very cool stuff there. The final clip I have for you uh, is I found extraordinarily interesting because, as many of you know, uh, Tesla opened up Elon and the Tesla opened up the patents a lot of the Tesla patents years ago. In fact, after the Model S released and after Model S won the car of the year uh, unanimously from Motor Trend, and uh, we hadn't really heard about anyone taking, making use of those patents, taking Tesla up on, on those. So here's Elon talking about that. <laughs> I mean, generally, we found it's like quite. It's not. It's not easy to work with traditional automakers. It's not like first of all, they're not exactly banging down our door to work with us. Nobody took you up on your patents. Your uh, open no, patents. I think I think they have actually. Oh, you really? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that's on, interesting. On the patents, they have. That's very different from say creating an integrated system. Sure. Like, like oh, so, yeah. you know, if, if, if there was an automaker out there that wanted to implement the same hardware system as as Tesla and, and use our software, I think we'd be very open to it. But we're not going to change it. What tends to happen is they want to work with us, but then they'll say, oh, but we want you to change the following like six things. Like, no, because it's going <laughs> to slow us down massively. Yeah. And and so we you know it's like, if you want to use exactly our thing, that's fine. Yeah. But then they don't want to use exactly our thing. Right. We're open to other automakers using our supercharged network. We're open to them to using, using our autopilot system. They just need to make it work without a ton of overhead on Tesla engineering. I could definitely see other people licensing Tesla's autopilot slash self-driving tech. I mean, the issue, I, I think, generally would be the frequency of code updates that are necessary. Because we're still barely seeing any car companies do always connected cars. You know, the hardware suite, sure, that would be pretty easy to put in any car. The cameras, the sensors, the radar, and the autopilot chip. But it would need to be able to pull down new updates on a very regular basis from the mothership. So uh, it was very interesting to hear Elon say, though, that that other car companies have taken them up on their open source patents. I would have loved an open, uh, pardon me, a uh, follow up question on that. That's uh, that's got to go on my list now because I'm curious who who uh, has taken them up on that. So there you go. Uh, good job from the uh, the ARC Invest podcast. If you want to listen to the whole thing, you can go to ARC, A-R-K, ARC, ARC-Invest.com slash research slash podcast. All right. And with that, we move on to the rest of the Tesla news for the week. Got a few other stories here. You know, we don't think much about the Model 3 production numbers anymore. I mean, if you remember back a year ago at this time, in fact, oh, wow, a year ago to this day, February 22nd, as I record, 
was the day that I and all of the day one non-Tesla owner reservation holders, uh, the first the, the first batch of people were invited to configure and order their Model 3s on the one-year anniversary of that. Anyway, point being, a year ago at this time, we were all regularly agonizing over Model 3 production numbers. But uh, things have smoothed out, and now we don't really think about it anymore. But here you go. The Model 3 is very much approaching a big production milestone. According to the Twitter account at Model3Vins, which I've cited on this show before, they track VIN registrations for Tesla. The company is now almost to 300,000 VINs registered, or 292,000. Now, to be fair, these are VIN registrations. These cars haven't all been produced yet, but it's nevertheless a certainly a really healthy sign. And as my friends at Tesla Roddy note, of those, Tesla has already registered 44,000 VINs here in Q1 just for North America. And we're only in February. And we've seen, actually, I mean, I see it every day. Any all the Bay Area people that see truckload after truckload after truckload of Model 3s heading north on uh, US 101 towards the docks to be, uh, to be loaded for shipping to China and Europe. Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of the VINs, a lot of the production is going overseas this quarter. So a uh, real nice surge there. Some, some just good stuff. Now, related to this, Elon tweeted this week that, quote, annualized production rate at the end of 2019 is probably going to be around 500,000, i.e. 10,000 cars per week. Deliveries for the year still estimated to be at about 400,000, he says, end quote. So... There you go. Production just continues to move along. Now, remember from the earnings call, let me just put a little context on that for you. The 10,000 cars per week is total global production. That's 7,000 cars a week in Fremont, meaning 5,000 Model 3s a week, 2,000 S's and X's, roughly about 1,000 each. And also the 3,000 cars per week that they expect to get out of China by the end of the year, uh, and those are all going to be Model 3 vehicles. Uh, so there you go on that. Just good stuff for Tesla production. Next up, Consumer Reports has revoked their recommend rating for the Model 3. Jake Fisher, the Senior Director of Automotive Testing at Consumer Reports, says, quote, when we look at the Model 3, a lot of the issues are the electronics there are some issues replacing the dashboard screens, for instance, but we've seen other issues in terms of the trim breaking and the glass, end quote. Now, it should be re uh, noted, reports Tesla Roddy in their, their article on the subject when I was reading up on this, that while Consumer Reports did receive numerous complaints about the Model 3's reliability, the owners who filed those reports have also maintained that they are generally satisfied with their vehicles. Nevertheless, quote, they like their cars, but they still tell us the truth. They tell us the problems they're having with them, Fisher said. Well, Tesla issued a statement in response to this, saying, quote, not only are our cars the safest and best performing vehicles available today, but we take feedback from our customers very seriously and quickly implement improvements anytime we hear about issues. That's just one of the reasons why in this very same survey from Consumer Reports, 
Model 3 was rated as the number one most satisfying car, and why Tesla vehicles have topped Consumer Reports' owner satisfaction survey every year since 2013, the first year Tesla was included in it. We're setting an extremely high bar for Model 3. We have already made significant improvements to correct any issues that Model 3 customers may have experienced that are referenced in this report, and our return policy allows any customer who's unhappy with their car to return it for a full refund. Now, all right, pause for a second. That's a three-day return policy, so that's, that's, all right, probably could have left that line out. But anyway, continuing. This new data from Consumer Reports comes from their annual owner satisfaction survey, which runs from July through September, so the vast majority of these issues have already been corrected through design and manufacturing improvements, and we are already seeing a significant improvement in our field data, end quote. So, uh, the, kind of adding on to this, I think it's important to remember that the Model 3 is really, for all intents and purposes, in its first full and proper year of production. It's its second year officially, technically, but it's really the first full proper year of production. So there are and there will be issues, and it's okay to acknowledge them. Of course, you don't want to stick your head in the sand with it. The key is how Tesla responds, and as they noted in their statement there, they're evolving the car every week, as they've done uh, since they started manufacturing their own cars. You know, the Model S has uh, and continues to evolve on a weekly basis, as does the X, as does the 3. Hey, remember last year when uh, Consumer Reports changed, or pardon me, when Consumer Reports had the uh, uh, issue with the braking system, the ABS braking, and Tesla went ahead and changed that ABS algorithm after they got called out, and that was, it was lickety-split. It was like inside of a week that was addressed. So as ever, Tesla is nimble. You know, when things come up, they can and do respond quickly. That not only has continued and should continue to serve them, uh, and by extension us, the customers, very well. Next this week, a little fun story here. Remember Party Mode, a.k.a. Karaoke on your Tesla's dashboard touchscreen, the ultimate supercharging time killer? Well, it is still coming, says Elon Musk. He responds to someone on Twitter and says, quote, it's probably a month or two. Sentry Mode became top priority, so we pushed that, meaning uh, Party Mode, out a bit. Now, I certainly, as a Bay Area resident, uh, can't fault Tesla for prioritizing sentry mode because Tesla, being a Bay Area company themselves, have a front row seat to the window-smashing car break-in problem that's been affecting the Tesla community and other, certainly not just Teslas, but affecting a lot of people up here, including the Tesla community. Now, I wonder if the party mode with the karaoke is going to do anything, anything past just putting the lyrics on the screen hopefully with a little bouncy ball to guide you as you're trying to sing along. You know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, I, I work in the video gaming space, so I'm thinking about something like a scoring system, almost like a rock band kind of thing. Uh, theoretically, it could happen because every Tesla does have a microphone built into it in the cabin. I suspect it probably won't go that far, at least at first, but we'll see. Uh, as for a camper mode which was also asked of Elon in the original tweet that he was responding to there. Hopefully that one makes it out 
in time for the summer, because that's when people are going to start taking their Teslas on uh, camping road trips and might really be able to take advantage of, uh, of the camper mode. Couple more stories this week. First up, if you are worried about the Bach music that blasts when Sentry Mode's alarm goes off, uh, if you're worried about that music actually harming your Tesla speakers, don't be. Credit here goes to the Tesla Motors Reddit user Tesrella, who posted an email exchange with a Tesla engineering manager, and that manager said, quote, I would not worry about damage to the speakers. Even the subwoofer employs a high-pass filter to protect from the insanely low frequencies that Takata and Fugue employs. The systems group and Tesla have verified safe, distortion-free excursion in sentry mode. All of the speakers we provide undergo extended pink noise power testing that far exceeds music content. In short, sentry mode is awesome and will not damage your stereo system. End quote. Well, I doubt any of you were worried. I certainly wasn't. But in case you were, there you go. You get a detailed explanation from an engineering matter, um, pardon me, manager, about how much thought went into it uh, all around. You know, not just about the end result of trying to deter would-be ne'er-do-wells, but about uh, the thought that went into caring for your car in the process as well. I can't wait to get the update. I still I don't have it yet, and I haven't really seen a lot of widespread reports. Again, this is as of Friday that I'm recording this. By the time you hear it over the weekend or early next week, that may have, have really changed. But as of recording this on late Friday night, uh, that I don't have it, and it's it doesn't seem like it's really super widespread out there just yet. My friend Michael from Milbray had it. I got to check it out last weekend. He and I uh, took a ride for lunch and uh, parked the car, and and uh, when we when we went back to it, you know, I, I got to test it out a little bit. I do like so it doesn't leave the HAL nine thousand uh, little red eye on the screen all the time, like just constantly. So there's no real risk of burn in or additional just whatever power drain the screen would, would do. But if the car senses something, so if, if anything comes into those side camera views or the front dash cam camera view, then the screen turns on and it's it says the hey, you're being recorded. So I like that. That's that's a really smart way to uh, to implement it. Finally, this week, speaking of fun little software things. Uh, last week, you probably recall that I was quite giddy about the Back to the Future-themed Easter egg that's in the Tesla app if you get your car down to 121 miles of range remaining on the battery. So I went out after I recorded the show last weekend, and I did it myself. I, uh, I actually got to spend some time. I, I had dinner with Ron from Nashville and his lovely wife, Kelly, who were briefly in town. I, I drove across across town, across the bay, over to the East Bay to meet up with them, which I was happy to do because, hey, they, they got a cool place they want to they wanna eat at, and I sure don't mind having a good excuse to drive my car. So went and met up with them, and then on the way back, uh, or I should say when I got home, I thought about the Back to the Future Easter egg. I was at about 100, and, I think it was like 136 miles of range when I got back. So I thought, you know what? I'm just not going to plug it in tonight. And then tomorrow when I go out to run errands, I'll get it down to 121 and I'll check out that Back to the Future Easter egg for myself. 
So the next day I, I go to head out and I'm on the freeway and I'm like, okay, it's coming right up. I pulled off uh, at a, you know, the closest exit to 121 miles. It wasn't where I was going, but I just pulled, because I didn't want it to happen on the freeway. I wanted to be able to like stop and look at the app and take screenshots and stuff and, and really have fun with it. So I pulled off the freeway at a, at a, you know, random exit that was, that was, you know, going to get me super close and get me down to 121. I drove around a, an office complex for a few minutes before, uh, before finally getting to 121. And then I did it. And boy, it's, again, I, I gave you the whole spiel last week. But the reason I bring it up this week, as Daisy the Boxer Puppy drinks up behind me, is because of all the, the cool bits in that Easter egg, I thought, you know, there were there were probably five or six things, like five or six neat little layers to it. I missed one. There was one more layer that even I missed last week that I happened to notice when I did it myself. And that is the odometer, the mile. You know, it shows your your odometer reading in your Tesla app at the very bottom, you know, just above the uh, the version number of the app and the and the uh, or pardon me, the version number of your car software. So it changes your car's mileage, just on the app display, obviously, to 33,062 miles. Now, if you're wondering why on earth 33062, it's because the DeLorean in Back to the Future 1, that is the mileage it has just as Marty McFly is about to head back to 1955 inadvertently. Uh, There's a close-up if you're a super fan of this movie like me, uh, there's a close-up of the instrument cluster as the car is is nearing 88 miles an hour. And so you can you see, you see the, actual, the DeLorean instrument cluster, although fun fact, in the movie, uh, so the, the, they, made a, they made a fake speedometer that goes up to 95 because uh, those of you who are a, a little older, like me, may remember that uh, there was a U.S. federal law in the early 80s that mandated that speedometers couldn't exceed an 85-mile-per-hour reading. I think there was some thought that people just wouldn't drive as fast if the car wasn't actually showing them how fast they could be going past 85. That law eventually went away, of course, but um, the DeLoreans were all... Uh, 80, they were all subject to that, that law. So, uh, since 88 is past 85 and you just, if they just shot a regular DeLorean speedometer in the movie, you'd you'd just see it, it would have just been a pegged 85. Uh, they wanted a little extra effect for the film. So they, they actually did a great job of, of making one that went to 95. It looks totally stock, like it fits right in. You'd think it, you'd never know it unless you were a DeLorean maniac like me. Um, that goes to 95. Anyway, the, the mileage there, when that close-up happens, that close-up shot in the movie, is 33,062 miles, which Tesla's app team went so far as to include in this Easter egg, which, uh, again, I love it. That is just a, that is, that is the pure definition of fun, and uh, it just could not be more laser-targeted at me. Anyway, uh, that's it for the Tesla news this week. I need to let you guys talk for a little bit. So I've got, as usual, some excellent Ride the Lightning hotline calls queued up from all of you, which I will get to 
right after this. I need a drink of water. All right, my friends, it's Ride the Lightning Hotline time, your time to shine. You call in awesomely every week with your questions, comments, discussion topics as they pertain to Tesla. Uh, so again, I always invite you to participate. It's two easy ways to do that. You can either record a question on your smartphone's built-in voice recorder and simply email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, you can call and leave a message anytime on the Ride the Lightning hotline. Dial 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. Either way, uh, either way you decide to call in, please try to limit your call to a minute and a half tops. Between minute, minute and a half, that's ideal. Thank you very much in advance for that. And uh, this is the part where I plug life on record for supplying me the Ride the Lightning hotline that you can call into. So if you know someone special with an upcoming birthday, anniversary, graduation, or some other special occasion, you can give them a unique gift of recorded voices from friends and family telling them why they're special. The recordings can be podcasted, or you can put them onto a keepsake. Visit lifeonrecord.com to learn more. Gil from San Diego is going to kick us off this week as a question about detailing. Gil, take it away. Hi, Ryan. Gil from San Diego. I've been wondering this for a while now. When you do a paint protection film or ceramic coating or combination thereof, can you still have your car washed uh, normally? My sense is you can't, and this sounds horrible, but I haven't washed my own car in a very long time. And so it would really be a problem if I can't take it to my my car wash guy to have them wash it. So just curious uh, if that if that rules that out because I'd love to do it, but at the same time I it would it would be very difficult um, for me to not uh, be able to sort of take my car to car wash as usual. Thanks, love the show. Hey Gil, you can totally have your car washed any way you want. The paint protection film is to help guard against rock chips, and the ceramic coating is basically just a super wax that lasts three to five years. So the reason that detailers, or at least mine, uh, prefer it to be done a certain way is just to make sure that you're not introducing foreign elements into the washing and cleaning process. For instance, a washing mitt that may have picked up a bit of grit in it, if you're not using grit guards, then that gets that gets rubbed into the, you know, the car somewhere else. Uh, that can, that can uh, make for a less than ideal long-term situation with the with the finish and everything so uh you know, stuff like that but those products ppf ceramic they're there to help you for sure <laughs> if i make it sound like it's a hassle uh it's just because i'm really really picky about my stuff in general i've been that way my whole life but you know especially with this car which i waited so long for and quite frankly it's the most expensive thing i've ever bought in my life other than our house so it's, I want to make sure to take as exact and perfect care of it as I possibly can. That's what, that's my happy place. That's what keeps me happy. But you don't have to be as picky as I am in order to benefit from paint protection film and ceramic coating. Thanks for the call, Gil. Mike from New Jersey uh, wants to uh, make a little note here about uh, projected range and sort of the way the car displays your range and energy. Mike, go ahead. Hey, Ryan, this is Mike from New Jersey. 
So the Easter egg conversation last week sparked a thought for me due to the 121 miles of range left needed in order to see it. Um, It's not actually related to that, but it did lead me to a simple idea that I wanted to share with you and get your thoughts on. So the range we see towards the top left of our Model 3 screens, to the right of the speedometer as I understand it, is the range the car is rated to get for the current state of charge without any energy usage or current temperatures factored in. Due to this, I found it somewhat useless, but I learned about two weeks into owning my Model 3 that we can change the readout from what I'll call rated miles remaining to a battery percentage remaining like we'd see on our phone. Still based on the current battery charge, but getting better on the usefulness scale. The percentage always made more sense to me since the information being given isn't really the expected range with all or even some factors considered, rather the correlated miles to the state of charge. In that case, the metric we're actually looking at is something more like a discharge velocity uh, in that the information we can glean from that number is only useful over time as we see it fall and at what rate. So here's what I'm thinking. Why not give us the option to display the energy screen's projected miles based on the previous 30 miles driven in that space instead? That number is way more accurate and is based on actually energy, uh, actual energy consumption. Um, what do you think? Wouldn't that make more sense for uh, most people? I uh, love the show and look forward to hearing from you. Good stuff here, Mike. And uh, you make a good point. If I remember my week-long experience with the original Roadster correctly, when I was taking care of one for eMotion rentals, the Roadster, I think, did give an option of displaying either the rated range remaining or the actual range. I, I don't, I'm not 100% on that, but I think that's what the, the case was. I'm not sure why Tesla does it the way it does on the three. I mean, as you noted, you can change it to battery percentage, Uh, I mean, I would think it defaults to miles remaining just because that's probably the friendliest way to onboard new people into an electric vehicle is to show them like a tangible thing that's easy to get. Like, you know, with a percentage, uh, they have to kind of convert that to something in their head, potentially. Um, Anyway, you know, remember, too, the other thing I want to say is on the long range rear wheel drive Model 3, the car can actually reliably get its rated range. So it turns out to be a pretty accurate measurement, but I agree. It'd be nice to have an option to display the number from that energy graph screen. Thanks so much for your call, Mike. Paul from Norway has a traction control question up next. Hi, Ryan. This is Paul calling from Norway, the Tesla capital of uh, Europe. Uh, First time caller, long time listener. Uh, in episode 185, there was this lady who was thrilled about the performance of her Model 3 in winter conditions. I have uh, a Model X, and I'm also quite happy with my car, uh, mostly. Uh, however, uh, going downhill and the, and the car is regenerating, and it's slippery, I have the impression that the traction control might be disabled. It's like the car doesn't detect that it's lost traction. Just wondering if you had any thoughts about this, or you know anything, or any other listeners know anything about this. And uh, yeah, keep up the good work. Cheers. Welcome to the podcast, Paul. Now, as you know, I don't have snowy conditions here in San Francisco, but I was able to find some information on this that is hopefully helpful to you. Apparently, this is a known element on the S and the X, and it's uh, been it's, it behaves a little differently on the three, but. The thing to do, if you have not done so already, is to set your regen to low, low regen, during icy wintertime conditions, and that should help the issue you describe. All the best, Paul. Thanks again. 
Fred from Missouri uh, has some concerns about the supercharger network out in his neck of the woods. Fred, go ahead. Hi, Ryan. This is Fred from Warrensburg, Missouri, owner of a 2015 Model S with 85 kilowatt battery. We're very, very happy with our decision to get the 85 kilowatt battery uh, here in the Midwest. My question concerns the expansion of the supercharger network in the Midwest. We've noticed there has been no progress with superchargers, especially between Little Rock, Arkansas, and Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, on Interstate 40. I noticed in a recent video when Elon announced the supercharger network, that was late 2012, that there was at least a plan to have a supercharger near Fort Smith, Arkansas, yet it's 2019, and there has been no progress between Little Rock and Oklahoma City. Is there anything we can do to support Tesla's effort to establish superchargers in places like Fort Smith on Interstate 40? Love the show and give Daisy a rub for us. Thanks. Thank you for calling in, Fred. Unfortunately, this is hardly the only location that was marked as coming soon in 2018 that still hasn't opened up. I'm not sure if the recent belt tightening by Tesla has anything to do with the slower-than-desired progress, or maybe if they're holding back because of the V3 supercharger rollout, or maybe even both. Um, one thing, though, uh, this was pointed out to me. I, I'd heard of this website before, but it had apparently run into some technical problems, but it's back. So anyway, supercharge.info, supercharge.info is this awesome website that actually tracks the construction and opening of new superchargers all around the world. It like fl tracks all the permits and, and keeps uh, tabs on everything. So check out supercharge.info. Uh, also, as our next caller happens to note though, it's not totally bleak in the Midwest when it comes to superchargers. Jeremy, you're on the air. Hey Ryan, Jeremy over here from Columbus. I just had a supercharger update. Um, so I live in Columbus, Ohio, and we've always had one supercharger. And then about six months ago, they added a second supercharger. And then just last week, we got a third supercharger. This is one of those um, uh, residential superchargers. Um, and what's interesting about it is that there's 20 chargers total. There's uh, 10 of those white, smaller um, residential superchargers. I think that's what they're called. But then there are... 10 Tesla destination chargers. However, they are J1772s. Um, I, maybe this is the first time uh, you've heard of it. It's certainly the first time I've heard of Tesla actually having public chargers with the J1772 uh, outlet on it. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if this is something that they're going to start rolling out universally. That way, um, some of their chargers are compatible with um, non-Tesla EVs like bolts and bolts and whatnot. Um, however, I find that to be uh, pretty darn interesting. All right. Thanks for all your time, man. Bye. Thank you so much for your call, Jeremy. That is definitely very interesting. I wonder if this is an experiment or the beginning of a new plan for charging stations. I'd love to see a picture of that particular Tesla-branded J1772 charger if you happen to go back there anytime soon. Thank you again for the information, Jeremy. Mike from Boston is up next, uh, responding to callers last week about driving a Tesla through that polar vortex, just that crazy winter weather. Mike, you're on the air. 
Hey, Ryan, it's Mike from Boston. How are you? How's Daisy doing? I hope everybody's good. I am good. I wanted to comment uh, after the polar vortex uh, comment from your last episode. Since I live in Boston and we've been getting some snow, uh, how well that uh, autopilot works in the snow. I mean, as long as you can, um, you know, see the lines, which, you know, usually they plow well enough uh, or get salt down well enough to get some lines on there, autopilot works really well. Um, and, you know, if, it, if the lines are covered up, the car warns you and says, hey, auto stay is not available. But still, the, uh, the cruise control works really well as well. And I found it very helpful driving in the snow. Um, it just is one less thing that you need to pay, you know, extra attention to so you can watch out for all the people in the four-wheel drive Jeeps that are trying to go 100 miles an hour um, on the highway. So I just thought I would uh, mention that just in case anyone has a, a question about autopilot and snowy conditions. Take care, my friend. You are awesome. Your podcast is a godsend. I recommend it to everyone who even thinks about having a Tesla. Take care. Bye. I'm really glad to hear that, Mike, and thank you so much for those kind words as well. I'm with you on being a little amazed and a lot comforted by how well autopilot works in inclement weather. As you heard me talk about over the last couple months, Autopilot's doing surprisingly well for me. I guess that's, I'm, I'm surprised at how well it's been doing in a, in a straight-up downpour. I've had a couple of those. I mean, your snow and my rain, it, the fact of the matter is that can be very stressful to drive in, and Autopilot just really helps take some of that stress away. I, I genuinely, this is gonna, may come off as a fanboy comment, and I guess I've, I'm an admitted Tesla fanboy, but... I feel like I've already gotten my $5,000 worth uh, with Enhanced Autopilot, and I've only had the car for six-plus months. I just, I highly recommend uh, purchasing the Enhanced Autopilot package to anybody that's buying a Tesla. Uh, Mike, great to hear from you. Final caller this week, the honor goes to Andy in Columbus with a, a question. I'll tell you this question. I had to look it up. I learned something here. So, Andy, take it away. Hey, Ryan. It's Andy in Columbus. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Hey, I wanted to give a big thumbs up to, I believe it was Bill from Pittsburgh that called in last week with the idea of changing the wiper speed with the scroll button on the steering wheel. That's a fantastic idea. Can't wait to see that go live someday. I had a question I had never really thought about until I saw a car on the side of the road today getting uh, jumped. Is there any way for a Tesla to jump an ICE car's battery if needed? It would seem fitting that you're driving around a giant battery that you could help out uh, someone in need, but I had never thought about that, and I don't uh, remember seeing anything like that. Uh, just be curious to know what uh, what you know of. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Keep up the great work. Well, the 12-volt battery is not easily accessible on a Tesla, so even if you hypothetically could, in practice, it's not super convenient. Now, that said, it is apparently possible. I found this, this is an, from an article on Inside EVs. Quote, from a technical perspective, jumpstarting an ICE car could be harmful to the EV, especially in the winter when there is a need for high amps for cranking. That puts stress on the 12-volt battery in the EV, 
and the uh, DC-DC converter, uh, which is a bigger problem. According to comments, uh, Tesla's DC to DC is ready for 200 amps, but surges could cause failure at some point, and that comes at a cost. The other issue could be confusion of the software that monitors the 12 monitors. Pardon me, geez, the 12 volt battery. So there you have it. It's uh, you could potentially do it, but it seems like it's mostly probably not a good idea. Excellent question though, here Andy. I learned something myself in this one. Again, I encourage you to call in anytime uh, with your Tesla question, comment discussion topic, whether it's uh, you send it in via your, your voice memo recording software on your phone or you dial into the Ride Lightning hotline, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Be right back with an update on what I've been up to in my car. I'll get the pro tip of the week and then I'll wrap things up for you right after this. Well, some good news for me with regard to my Tesla, and that is I finally got my spoiler coming for my Performance Model 3, which I've been waiting. Uh, it'll end up being almost seven months to the day since delivery, and I'm not complaining. You know, it is what it is. Car, it's a beautiful car. It's served me just fine for the, for the last seven months without a spoiler. But um, yeah, I got an email from Tesla this week saying, We've got the parts. We're ready to install this on your car. Please fill out this Google form and let us know when you'd like us to come put it on. So I took the soonest available, and that is happening on Monday. So very excited about that. Uh, and then, yeah, they should hopefully be doing my badge as well. The email was specifically about spoilers, but I know they have the badges too. So uh, hopefully I'll get that thrown on there as well. And then my car will go from 99% done to 100% done. Speaking of accessories for the P3D, though, I did want to pass along something for everybody, and that is uh, if you have a Performance Model 3 with the 20-inch wheels, Tesla is now finally offering snow chains for the 20-inch Performance wheels. It's $290 for a set. Now, I just want to say, I have to confess, I know nothing, nothing about winter driving. So I, please enlighten me on this. Like, isn't it probably not a good idea to be using the 20-inch summer tires in the winter like, period, even with the snow chains? Because, and the reason I say that is because on the Tesla store website for those this exact product, for the 20-inch snow chains, uh, they're pictured with the Michelin Super Sport summer tires that come with the car. And I th thought, you know, those tires are basically supposed to be super, any summer tire is unsafe in, in winter conditions. So I don't know. But in any case, uh, there you go. The, the chains are available uh, if you have a P3D and need them. Let's go to the pro tip of the week. Ryan from Denver. This one's more of a courtesy tip than a pro tip, but I thought this was good. I wanted to play this. So uh, Ryan, take it away. Hey, Ryan. This is Ryan from Denver calling, and I just wanted to offer a courtesy tip rather than a pro tip. One of the things I see happening a lot is Tesla drivers using the head-first superchargers when there are a multitude of other superchargers available. One thing I like to try to do is not park in either the head-first or the linked supercharger to the head-first because those should really be left for vehicles with a tow hitch on them. 
And if you block those, then if someone comes with a tow hitch, they're going to be unable to supercharge or not supercharge without taking up multiple spots. Um, it's a pretty easy thing to do when there's not very many people in the supercharger. So I just think that that's something that everyone should be aware of. Thanks. Thank you, Ryan. I think that's a great courtesy tip. I confess that I need to take heed of this tip myself. I took a headfirst spot uh, back at Indio on my return trip from Arizona to San Francisco. Now, at that station, there were a lot of headfirst spots in, in my defense, but you're right. It would have been more polite to take a regular back-end spot and leave those headfirst spots for Model Xs that are towing stuff. Good call, Ryan, feel free to send in your pro tip if you've got something neat about your Tesla that you've learned uh, that maybe isn't super obvious, please feel free to, to call in with it using the, uh, the call-in info I gave you earlier in the show during the Ride the Lightning hotline. All right, that will bring us to about the end of the show here. I want to mention the Patreon. That is the foremost way you can support the show if you so choose. It's purely voluntary. Uh, if you see fit to do that, you can find more information at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, that is always appreciated for anybody that, that uh, checks it out and, and maybe uh, considers supporting me there. Meanwhile, abstractocean.com, they've got their tempered glass screen protectors. They've got their center console wraps. They've got their TESLA lettering on the back uh, for you, to, you know, to replace the, the T logo on the back of your Model 3. I've seen a few of those out and about. And yeah, when they're installed properly, I think they look super nice. They look, they look factory and they look good. So they've got all kinds of those Tesla accessories. The puddle lights, those are a big, big one too. Check all that stuff out. Uh, pile it all into your cart at once because uh, they've extended a very kind discount to listeners of the show. 15% off of your first order if you use the coupon code RTL Podcast at checkout. RTL Podcast, all one word, for the 15% off your first order. Immaculate Reflections, I guess hopefully I'll be seeing Jeff one more time uh, in order to, once I get my spoiler and badge, he can finally do the ceramic coating on the, the trunk panels. Since, uh, you know, we've got to, I've got to get those, those sticky things on first, the spoiler and the badge, and then he's, uh, he's going to finish that final ceramic coat on that piece. The rest of the car is all ceramic coated. But anyway, uh, if you're interested in ceramic coating or paint protection film or paint correction or uh, whatever, whatever detailing project that you may want a professional's assistance with, you can consult Immaculate Reflections. Look them up on their website irdetailing.com. A reminder, you can always follow me on Twitter if you want. I'm at DMC underscore Ryan. Same thing on Instagram as well. If you're buying a Jada wireless charging pad for your Model 3, again, I told you about my experience with the new one. It is. It seems to be launch-proof. I've been very happy with it so far. It's. It definitely supersedes the original in every way. Like I said, I if you have the original, I can't say I would recommend spending another hundred bucks to get this one because the, the original does do the job that just doesn't hold the phone super great if you launch it hard, at least in the, in the performance car. But uh, anyway, if you don't already have one, I do think that the, the new charging pad, the V2, 
is a is a really really well done product. So it's a hundred bucks. I don't have a discount for that, but uh, the Jada folks kind enough to offer a referral link here. So if you like me and you want to buy one of these things, they'll the transparency here is they'll throw me a couple bucks if you order it through this link, which is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight. And Jada is spelled J-E-D-A. I want to mention the Patreon producers before I hit the road. They are the fantastic folks who uh, support me at one of the higher levels. The, the producer level really helps uh, make this show happen because of, uh, again, the, the time, the energy that goes into this. It is not insignificant. So I want to thank all the Patreon producers Paul Hussey, DJ Harbaugh, Pete White, Wolfgang Obergen, George Cassiopo, David Brander, Jonathan Wales, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Matthew Para, Michael Lester, Robert Maracle, Jason Chalukas, Emotion Rentals, Tim Hyde, Marcus Mayenshine, Lee Sweet, Lars Hoffman, Peter Chalet, Rome Strack, David Vakil, Ulrich Lassa, Luke A., Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Gabriel Salais, Jerry and Mary Smith, Brian Hope, Rick Sinta, Bill Royko, Lyle Austin, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Luxendary.com, Michael Waddle, Daniel Grummer, Br- uh, pardon me, Blake Wiley, Tyler Van Gorder, Josh, Jeremy, another Jeremy, Jeremy Harris, and Tesla Owners Taiwan. Thank you all so, so much for your continued support of the podcast, which you can subscribe to if you're not doing already. Again, that's just the totally free way of getting the podcast delivered to you anytime a new episode comes out, rather than you having to go seek it out. So subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, uh, TuneIn, which is how you get it in your Tesla, or uh, you can pick up the RSS feed, or find all the episodes as well on the hosting page, which is a, a very plain Jane website, but it's uh, teslapodcast.libsyn.com. Thanks, everybody. I want to just give you one more super sincere apology for how bad my voice sounds. This is, um, this is not a great listening experience, I'm sure. But, you know, I got to I got to be here. I can't and I'm not going to I'm not going to not do the podcast. Hopefully you're not out there thinking, God, I wish you hadn't. I just wish you hadn't done the podcast at all. Hopefully it doesn't sound that bad, but definitely not my best week. Uh, This is not an episode that I'll put in the top of my pile when I think back to what were some of the best episodes? Yeah, the one where I I sound like a like a a frog with rocks in in its throat. Will not be the one, but anyway, uh, thanks for bearing with me. I sincerely appreciate it, as I do your time. Thank you so much for giving me an hour plus of your time each and every week to help catch you up on what's happening in the world of Tesla. I have a great time doing this, and I just, again, I value your, uh, your time and your attention. So thank you all. Happy electric motoring, and I'll see you next week. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever.
that's what it's meant to be. Well, our goal is to make it's it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. Mm. Make it's maximum fun. 